Hey guys, welcome to the We Are Men podcast. I am your host, Carl Mason. And in this podcast, we sit down and talk with local heroes about life, mental health, and strategies for coping with the day-to-day issues that we all face as men. Our aim with this podcast is to create a space where men can open up and discuss their mental health without the fear of shame or exclusion. I know it can be hard to ask for help as a man, but no man needs to struggle alone. We hope to encourage all men to talk about what they're going through and seek help when they need it. A quick note, this podcast may feature some adult language and suicide may be discussed, which could be triggering for some listeners. These podcasts have been made possible by funding from Country SAPHN. Welcome to the We Are Men podcast, Country South Australia. Uh, I'm your host, Carl Mason, and today we are chatting with Dwayne Menzies from Clare, South Australia, uh, about male mental health. Dwayne, first off, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, we know it's very important. Everyone on our team has their own experience with mental health, um, and we just know how important it is for people to talk about it, people to open it up, because it just does so much. So we really yes. appreciate you being a part of this. No, I'm happy to be here, mate. If I can get more men to open up their mouths and their hearts and their souls, then I'm there. Perfect. It's a great way to start. <laughs> Love it. So maybe we'll start at the beginning, Dwayne. Would you mind, uh, like in your mind, where do you think your met- journey with mental health began? Um, I think there was always a little skeleton in the closet there somewhere. Um, even as a young lad, I felt different, those sorts of things. But generally, I came from a very normal, average middle-class family, no problems with the family at all. Um, but then I had uh, quite a traumatic event occur in my early 20s. And that was when I first noticed that something wasn't wrong and I wasn't able to deal with things. That was the event that occurred uh, in my early 20s was quite a tragic event. And that turned out to be the catalyst for, for a whole series of events that I probably otherwise would have been able to deal with. So, so as a young lad, I always knew that I was a little different. I was always a comedian, always a clown, always trying to hide something, you know, I, I still not sure what that was. I just was the sort of kid that didn't quite fit, you know, but it wasn't until my early twenties when life was just cruising along as good as it could ever be. And I was team T-boned by an event that completely changed my outlook on, on life. And I no longer felt safe. I developed anxiety and depression and a whole bunch of other situations as a result of that single event. So that was the, the door that opened that let everything else spill out. Yeah. So what was kind of the follow on from that event? You said like anxiety, depression. What did the next few years of your life look like? Yeah, what actually happened, and I am very open, is I um, uh, really struggled and and had a suicide attempt. And um, I was taken to hospital and went through all the trauma that that is associated with, with, um, you know, um, uh, having a suicide attempt. And I came out of that situation with very little help on the outside. I was given all the tools I needed while in hospital and uh, the clinicians all spoke to me and whatnot. But when I left that hospital, I was left with very few tools to actually um, deal with that situation. And and I'm I'm going off off tap here a little bit. There was another event that happened some 20 odd years later um, where I also was detained in a mental health institution that was a very different experience because 20 years down the track, I was given the tools I needed to to cope with my my mental health issues. And when I was released from detention, I was was, uh, advised and and was given a a drop-in centre to attend. And that was the life-saving point for me. 20 years down the track, I came out of a, a tragic situation 
with the tools in order to deal with that moving forward. And then I had the people that could show me how to use those tools that had used them themselves. So I got a bit lost there with what the question was, um, but that's what it was like for me, yeah. Yeah, um, and so that's interesting because obviously in that 20 years, you know, an understanding of what mental health was, you know, became better. Um, I guess the stigma was probably less as well in those 20 years. But do you think there's still stigma today? Obviously, it's been better than in the past, but do you think we still have a bit of stigma around it? There is a huge amount of stigma, and that's why I'm talking to you today, particularly for men. Men still have this belief that we are 10 foot tall and bulletproof and Clint Eastwood. Um, and uh, we tend to, if we do have a mental health issue or we have a bit of a knock in the motor or a a bit of a problem with the engine, we tend to just, she'll be right, mate, we'll fix it up with a bit of bale and twine and a, and, and a bit of wire, she'll be great, you know. I don't think, um, for men, we are not supposed to be broken. We, we, we look out, our eyes look forward, and in my situation, I was a husband and a father, so we can't be broken. We need to be the rock for everyone else, and I think that stigma is very detrimental to men. I think we really need to open up and really need to be comfortable to talk about something if we feel we're not traveling well definitely it's so important i know when i you know i've been at my worst times and wasn't talking to people and bottling it up i had to find other ways to let that out and it that always tends to be you know negative ways um whether it was drugs or alcohol or you know yes. behavior did you have the similar experience I, I did, and and I'm normally the funny guy. I'm I'm the professional comedian, funny dude who is spends his whole life lifting other people up. So when you have a down moment and you're not that guy anymore, you're the broken down Ferrari. People don't expect to ever see that and don't know what to do when they do see it. Suddenly, I've always been an advocate and a mentor for other people. I'm just that guy. I just was always that funny guy, that popular, easy to chat to bloke. And the minute you don't become that person, I'm sure other men think it's contagious or we just don't know how to deal with it. We, we, we've never been trained or we're not genetically wired to, to be anything but the, the caveman that had to throw a pointy stick at a mammoth. You know, I mean, we just really don't like to get in touch with our inner, inner feelings. It, it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of brokenness and no one wants that. Yeah. So we, we tend to just, she'll be right, mate, thumbs up and continue forward not knowing that eventually we're going to crash further down the track. Yeah, which is, I've always found funny because for me, the hardest thing I ever did was that first step of reaching out, seeking help, uh, talking to someone about what was going on. Mm. And like the hardest thing I've ever done. Yes. And, you know, that I kind of think if, if something's really, really hard and you get through it, that kind of defines what strong or strength is or toughness. So it's, yes. I find it amazing, that, you know, there is still people who see it as, uh, a weakness when I just yes. think it's it's such a powerful tool for yourself for the people around you um, and yeah a really really strong thing to do yes I, I tell a lot of people I volunteer at Lifeline here so I deal with a lot of men I'm the only token male here and I say to men you know you want to be brave you want to be tough you want to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof go and cry in the front bar I said, because I guarantee you, mate, you'll just be on your own, you know. And um, I always say to people, you know, man up and cry, mate. Some of the some of the greatest thing a man can ever do is feel comfortable to just sit down with whether it be his wife, his his counsellor, or his best mate, and just pour your heart out to the point where you cry, mate, because you will feel better for it. And as soon as you do that, I believe men tend to actually see the see the, the healing properties in actually doing that.
some sometimes it's just good to just let it all out. You know, yeah, I kind of feel like once you, you're also opening the door then for someone else. You are. Oh, I've been feeling that too, just bottling it up. I thought I was alone. And that kind of opening the door just makes that connection of, you know, you're not alone. Everyone goes through these things. Absolutely. And I literally had to go and find people that had similar journeys to actually get that, that validation I needed that it's okay. Yeah. Um, because if you, you know, I, I'm a bloke, mate. I burp, I fart, I swear, and I drink beer down the pub. And trust me, you can't walk into a pub and be a broken person because you, it's just not the place. And it's so sad. Now when I walk into a pub, I don't drink anymore, but I, I'll walk into a pub and have a Coke. And I just look at all these broken men knowing that I was you once, you know, and I've literally become that person because I do volunteer for Lifeline. People now talk to me a lot. Um, I, I get an enormous amount of healing being able to help others to fulfil that journey that I did, um, which was to get well, you know, um, be well, live well, get well. You know, that, yeah. that's me. So, yeah. It sounds like you're doing a lot of uh, positive things to use your experience to help others. Um, I want to touch on that more, but I just want to kind of understand first, what was the kind of final point that forced you to seek help? Where was that kind of point that you thought, okay, I, I can't do this on my own. I've got to speak yeah. to someone. Um, so at 22, I had an event that set me up for, for not being able to cope with things. So I finally got about 20 years later where I was um, uh, married, had a child, and I had an incident at work. Um, that was quite a severe incident. I broke my back in three places. I was a stonemason. So I then had the ability to work removed from me. So suddenly I was forced to deal with my issues because prior to that, I was earning large amounts of money, was able to buy happiness you know, whenever I needed it. But the turning point for me was at that point, I, that was my second suicide attempt. Um, and once again, I was detained for 14 days in a mental health institute. And it was as simple as this for me. When I looked down into my daughter's eyes after coming from that place, I knew that she needed a father. She needed a strong father. Even though my daughter was only about four or five years old, she knew that something wasn't right with the dad. So I actually looked at my family and realised, again, um, I am a man and I need to sort this out. I need to be uh, a mentor for the people around me because once my mental health collapsed, being the, the head of the family, it, the, the, the others soon followed. So I literally took one look at my family and realised that if I don't come out of here well and, and do something about my situation, I, I won't be here. Um, so literally, um, to put it, put it on a heartstring, I literally looked in my daughter's eyes and realised that she needed a strong, functioning father moving forward um, because children know when something isn't right. And that was the turning point for me. It was yeah. I needed to do this for myself, but more importantly, I needed to not have my mental affliction be a part of their journey. So, so that was it. It was, it was my daughter's look her eyes said they say the eyes are a window to the soul they absolutely are yeah and I think a, a lot of men you know have that feeling that like you said you've suddenly lost your income that being that provider you know mm. is all that you can do for the family but that's just one part of it you know being there the support and like you said being there you know mentally able to connect is, you know, mm. is a huge part of you know, connecting with family um, and I think yeah a lot of men from my experience if they lose one part of it, they think it's it's all, you know, it's all over. What am I going to do now? And they get very lost. Yes. Uh, what was the first, um, so what was the first time you reached out? Where? How did you go about that? Did you go to your doctor? Did you go to a, um, find a 
program online or something? The only time that I ever really found something beyond a visit to a hospital was uh, it was the I hate using the word, but the second episode that I had. Once I went was detained in a mental health institute. Um, I chose that time to actually get well. So I utilised every single. Uh, when I was detained, they would have meetings, they would have drug and alcohol meetings. I was present for every one of those meetings, 100%. Um, so, so finding help was very hard, particularly in a country community, because it's just not around. And, and the experience we're having now with COVID is there's very little around. I literally utilised, um, I think there are three steps to better mental health. One, one is compliance from the person, which was me. So I really needed to go out there and start wading through the mess and trying to find out what worked for me, which is what I did. I had clinician help, which I, the early Dwayne would have said, look, the biggest problem you have in the day is whether to have the white wine or the red wine with the fish. I had a very low opinion of clinicians because I don't think they really have a problem. I learned to accept that they have a lot to offer and to take what they offer on board and use that. But the greatest turning point for me was going back out into the community and finding that drop-in centre, that, that safe place where other like-minded people with similar journeys had uh, congregate and we would do a meal and we would do all sorts of things. And that was where I got help and that's where I found the, the safest place for me. And, and, and the kudos to all of that is after two years of being what they call a consumer of this drop-in centre, I hate the word consumer, I wound up running it. So if I could ever be a, an advocate for these community centres and how they are so successful, that's how successful that was for me. I wasn't only able to help a lot of other people, but I was able to come from someone who entered that, that building as a consumer needing help to someone that walked out of that building actually running that drop-in centre and have continued to, to assist people with mental health issues even today. My whole rhetoric is talk to someone. So, so that's, yeah, hopefully that answered that question. Yeah, maybe. definitely. You are kind of the perfect advocate because you went through the program, you know what worked, and now yes. you know, it can take what worked and add your own experiences to ensure that you know, other people are getting that, that same experience you have. Absolutely. And it's not one, shoe, one size fits all. I encourage people to keep, keep going at it, keep, keep trying until you find the fit that works for you. I think that's so important. I found that that first step in seeking help, I ended up having three or four doctor's appointments, four different psychologists. Yes. And until I found the right fit. And I think some people think if you go out, it doesn't work. And then they kind of give up and you know yeah. don't keep trying. You've got to push because it's just so worth it once you find that that area or that you know way of working through your issues that works for you. Absolutely, I always say to people: if you're seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever, um, it'll take three visits before you feel comfortable to tell your whole story. Um, and once you get to that point and you found that fit, that's that's the person that can then help you moving forward. So, yeah. but the greatest help for me was the combination of those three things. Um, but the real moving forward help for me was was just community and other people such as yourself and, and one that I'm now proud to be a part of that can actually talk to blokes. I, yeah. I have a great gift that blokes seem to want to chat to me. I have no idea why. I'm really funny and I, I, I make them laugh and they are really shocked when they find out I work for Lifeline. Um, 
but I found the shortest distance between two stories is a joke. You know? <laughs> so the minute they're laughing, then, then the next thing you know, they're telling me their story. So, yeah. so I, that, if that's a gift, then that's my gift. Well, that's a, you're using your gift for good, which is absolutely <laughs> your special skill. Yes. <laughs> now, I've been told that you have a great analogy about men and attractors in relation to mental health. Yes, I do. I have, uh, what I do, I deal with a lot of country people. And the first thing I do is have a look at their tractor you know, and look at the quality oil they put in it and how well it's looked after and how it's parked in the shed while the ute's parked out on the farm, you know. I always say to these people, you know, look at the effort and look at the maintenance you put into your tractor because that, without your tractor, your farm ceases to function. You need to treat your own body in exactly the same way. You don't put shit oil in the tractor, don't put shit oil in the body. So we have a great um, group here called the Spanner in the Works, and I love this little book because what it does, it, it actually uh, uh, breaks down the human male body into a car to various components and how we need to look after each of these components to make the car run. So my great analogy as, as, a, as a door opener and icebreaker with country people is to go and have a look at their tractor. Remember when everyone stood around the bonnet of the car with the bonnet up and yeah. we talked? No one was really talking about the engine, mate. We were, all, we were just blokes, you know, offloading our little bits. Oh, yeah, the missus did this and said that. Well, I find that farmers, mate, you, get, you start walking them around the tractor, the next minute they're telling you their whole story, mate. And it's, it's just never breaking that ice, is, you know, getting past that first hurdle. And, and Absolutely. If I can get them to treat them, their body the same way they treat their tractor, mate, um, I think we're, we're on, a good, on, on a positive road to a, to a, to a positive end, I think. Amazing. I love that one. And I'm going to use that one. So I'll give you, you credit. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to say, what would you say to, there's, you know, a younger guy out there um, who's going through some stuff and is hesitant to reach out or is trying to do it alone, but it's not working. What advice would you give to them? Find someone to talk to. Um, if you're reluctant to talk to family because you're concerned about stigma, that's okay. Go and talk to a clinician, go go to a community centre, um, just talk to someone, you know, you'll find someone that you feel comfortable to chat to and, and just don't be afraid to open up, you know, and, and um, for some people that needs to be a neutral place where they want to go and see a, a clinician who they'll never, ever see again, who's not going to tell their mum the bad things they did. Um, but look, don't be afraid to open up. I, 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 would, I would implore men to not be 10 foot tall and bulletproof. We don't have to be that all the time. Some, sometimes in order to, to, to be a man, you have to tap into that emotional bank you've got and, and really open up and start chatting to people. Because if you can do that early on, I'm the poster boy for what happens if you don't, because it's gonna come and bite you in the ass 20 years later. So deal with it now while it's only a young seed, water that seed and let it grow into something great. Because if you just leave it and don't water that, it's just gonna die and rot in the ground. The biggest thing, and, and the reason I'm talking to you, is if I could, I could just, if I could just get men to talk. I, I, I'm sitting in a Lifeline office now, and we're Lifeline Connect. I'm not here to promote that, but that is exactly what we do. We are just a connect centre where a bloke can just walk in off the street and chat to me for two hours over a really bad coffee, and with any luck, he's walked out the door with a bit of a joke. I now encourage people to go and see clinicians. I've moved on from that red wine, white wine for the fish because they'll give you the tools and then go out into the world and find someone that can show you how to use those tools, someone that's had a lived experience. So, yeah, look, talk, talk, please talk. It's, I also find that a lot of people don't realise how just the simple act of sharing 
yes. having someone sharing your story with someone else, it just kind of releases it. It's, you know, it is it's not just shared. in your head. It's yeah. kind of out there now, and it just yeah. takes away a little of that, a bit of that edge. It, so it does. It lets the steam out. It's not something that you've bottled up anymore because whether or not you place it in the little box in the back of your brain, it's still in there rattling around, mate. It's not gone anywhere. It's coming out sooner or later. And for me personally, it took me a long time to feel comfortable to open up. And that started in a group, as I said, a, a community centre with people that had similar journeys. But I can guarantee you, if anyone, I would, again, poster boy, have that conversation because you will feel so much better for it. And, and you'll probably find that you will start other conversations. And the next thing you know, you're not now someone that people are afraid of. Oh, gee, Dwayne's got anxiety. Don't touch him. I hear it's contagious. You know, suddenly it becomes a conversation and it's amazing. Um, suddenly we're talking about it because one bloke took the initiative to make that subject not taboo. Yeah. Remember how many people are suffering from this. There's something like the, the statistics are three in five or whatever. So you're bound to have a group of your mates in the same boat. And you might be surprised that if you start that conversation, how many other people might jump on board. The next thing you know, you've got a men's group and you're helping each other, <laughs> even though. Know? So don't be afraid to have that conversation. You might be pleasantly surprised that you're not the only one. Yeah, I love that like point in a conversation where I'll be talking about you know, anxiety and my experience and someone will be like, oh, I've, I've, been, I've dealt with that as well. You, know, well, you have anxiety. And, oh, okay. <laughs> I've got anxiety. Like we all have anxiety. Yes. It's something that everyone can relate to in a way. Uh, yes. Just by you know, sharing our stories, which just opens yeah. up the door, which is so important. I, I always have a funny story because story, anxiety is one of those things. It's a bit like the back injury. You mention it, and Australians are like, oh, anxiety, you need to get over it, you know? So I always explain it to people, and I did steal this from Channel 2. It was explained to me in a way that I, because I do have to try and explain this to people quite often and I love to use parables as opposed to tell them about my life and anxiety for me is um, if you're swimming in a lake and you see a crocodile your body will make you walk on water and run to the bank to get away from it anxiety is when you still have that same response when you see the crocodile at the zoo <laughs> you know so, <laughs> that's, so that's how I explain it because they don't get it it's something I'm, I can't switch off so you might go to the zoo and see a crocodile and think, how cool is that? I go to the zoo and see a crocodile and think, wow, that could eat me. You know. <laughs> so, so, so I love using that little little analogy. That's that's anxiety for me. You know. Yeah, so. I heard my psychologist, a similar one, said that you know we developed as humans to like be terrified of that saber toothed tiger coming yeah. to eat you. And now that's not going to happen in our everyday life. But anxiety is still being worried that at every corner that saber toothed tiger is going to jump out and get you. Absolutely. It's not going to happen, no. but you can't stop. Yes, yes, no. It's very. Some people really don't get that. They see anxiety as, oh, well, can't you just take a pill for that? Um, yeah, anxiety, for me, it doesn't go. It's always there. Yeah, you just <laughs> so, learn, learn to live with it. You do. You learn to live with it. I've turned it to a positive in my world, actually. Exactly. I've been around and, and use it to my advantage. So, yeah. Well, I think that's incredible that you've been able to take your experiences uh, and turn them into a positive and use them to help people in your community. Absolutely, because it doesn't seem like a burden anymore. It's, it turns a burden to an asset. Yeah. So it's not something I'm proud of. And if they said, would you like to get rid of it? I can give you a pill that will that'll have it go away. I'd say, oh, well, that'd be fantastic. But I'd probably be lost without it. Um, but it, exactly. 
exactly what you said. Yes, uh, I found out because I have OCD and all sorts of things. I've got such a myriad of things going on. It's like a jar of Smarties, mate, you know. And I just pick each one at a time and thought, right, how can I flip that on its head so that that works for me? And I've been able to do that. And I encourage a lot of people to do the same. Don't don't look for a cure. You know, hopefully you'll find one, but I, I, chances are you may not find that. Yeah. The, the solution is just living with, with your situation and managing it as best you can. If you can flip that on its head and turn that to a positive, then, then good for you. You know, I'm, I'm here to help you do that if, if I can. <laughs> Amazing. I have asked all my questions I would have asked, but I'm just very interested in, in what yeah. we're talking about now. Um, no, yeah. I found the same with, uh, like, my turning point was anxiety. I went to get seek help because my anxiety was unbearable. And yeah. the longer I kind of sought help and spoke to people, I realised that, Oh, anxiety was just a symptom of something else. I didn't just have anxiety as I'm similar. I have OCD and anxiety yeah. was a part of that. And then I worked out, oh, I also have ADHD and anxiety is a part of that. And then the more you're on this journey, the more you get the bigger picture. And for yes. me, that's just helped me understand like how to deal with things and you know what steps to take instead of yes. panicking because I'm anxious going, it's just part of this. These are the steps I have in place. So I feel like, I don't know, from your experience, the more you understand about yourself, the easier it is to, to manage as well. Absolutely. And, and people would say to me, I went from a high paying job to a disability pension because of an injury. And that just compacted all these other little mother smarty to the jar, you know. Um, but people would say to me, you know, how do you deal with that? And I would say it probably saved my life. Because by going from a large income to a disability pension, I really had to use the KISS model, which is keep it simple. And now I really enjoy the simple things in life. Whereas before, if I had a bad day, I'd go out and buy myself a Parmigiana and a prawn cocktail and that would sugarcoat the problem for a day or two because I had a positive experience that sort of covered the negative one. Once you have then lose the inability to do that, then you have to start dealing with things on a ground level and at a coal face. And people laugh when they come in here and say, I've got nothing to do. I don't know what to do. I said, you see the park across the road? Take your shoes off and just go walk on the grass in bare feet. I guarantee you by the time you get the end of it, you'll feel better. And it's really funny that, uh, that people will do that. And they say, I love that because I've, I've really actually got in touch with my life now because I've had to dumb it down. I haven't been able to pretty it up with bling. I've literally had to really eke out a life that is that is... Wonderful, my life is better now than it ever has been because I've owned all my mental health problems. I've dealt with the, the, all the ones that I can and I manage the ones I can't. And I take, it's very important to, to talk, which is talking to you has been fantastic. You're, you must be my brother because you seem to have the same reflections that I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, that, that, that for me was, was a, a bonus. I'm, I, in, in, you know, one of the questions you have, have on your list here was how is life for you now? I would say absolutely excellent. excellent. How did I go from really bad to excellent? Talk, conversation. I was able to just chat and pick up hints and, and strategies here and strategies there. And, you know, no one ever thinks to take their shoes off and walk on the grass, but hey, that's, I love it. <laughs> so now I go camping. I, I sleep in a tent instead of sleeping in a cabin. I ride a lovely motorbike instead of a big custom chopper, and I'm loving life better than I ever did. So incredible. Dwayne, it's been incredible to speak to you today. Uh, and I know that your story and the advice you've given will be very helpful to yes. men out there. I'm already taking pieces for myself um, yep. to utilize in my life. So thank you so much for joining us, 
sharing your story, uh, being so open and vulnerable and you know all the work you're doing in trying to get men to talk because yeah that's what we're here trying to do uh, and we know just how how much help it it does and thank you for being a part of that um, because I've, I've googled what you do I've looked at your stories I've, I've, I've been all over the internet what you're doing is everything that we want to do as, as, a, as a consumer and having a lived experience which is my expertise I work in an office full of clinicians and I'm the only one with a lived experience and no skills, and I'm the one that everyone wants to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get better experience than live, lived experience. Absolutely. I'm the buffer zone between someone that walks in the office and doesn't know what to do. So I'm the buffer zone between the person that uh, walks into our office struggling and the clinician. So I'm that buffer zone between that point. So I generally sit down um, and have a chat with people. That's my gift. And again, um, the, that is the solution to everything. Having that freedom, that, that, that um, ability to just discuss our mental health issues as if we were just discussing a common cold, because um, that's the secret. That is, that is you know, that, that is, I think, the answer right there. Yep. Well, amazing, Duane. Really appreciate it. Yes. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure you're helping many people, and I really hope that this interview will as well. So. Great work. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. A huge thank you to our guest. Make sure you head to wearemen.com.au for more information about the project and for a list of services that are available to men out there who want to learn how to be a man who talks. See you guys next week.